So just before Simon comes up to preach, uh, we're going to have our Bible reading, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in many troubles, in any trouble, with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. I'm going to ask Simon. Well, it's good to see you all again, and uh, it's been a while, I think, since the Sunday morning, for sure. I do come to other bits and pieces, but uh, obviously not Sundays. John asked me to say a little bit about Hope. We haven't got much time, but um, Hope's a church, if you don't know, Hope is a church plant. I was pastor here for 23 years, and we've just um, started a new work in Trent Vale. Uh, we're, we're really doing well. We've got people coming from outside. We've got one person became a Christian. We've got various other things. We're a real family together. There's, we get an average of 40, sometimes more than that. Last week was a down week, but that's simply because, um, as, as, you've noted, as you've been told, sickness, family issues, all sorts of other problems with people. Well, we're working through that now, and we're getting back up to speed. We've got loads of plans for the community. Um, in collaboration sometimes with other churches as well. We've got an intercessors group which is praying for us uh, every 10 days and that is amazing. That is just something else. And the Lord is really answering those prayers. Um, we're dousing the whole thing in prayer, love for one another, accepting anyone who comes through that door. Um, and uh, it's, it's a brilliant place to be, I have to say. Hope by name, hope by nature. <laughs> Um, so I am very, very blessed uh, and very encouraged. And thank you so much for all your prayers as well. If you want to come and see us, you're very welcome. Have a look, see what's happening. John's there today. Um, it's his first time there, I think. Others have been and gone. Um, but uh, it's, it's uh, great to be here as well and to see you all again. Um, I'm going to uh, just bring, a, it's a one-off message. I haven't preached this anywhere. So you haven't got an old one or a microwaved one, which people warm up when they come somewhere else. And uh, can't do that anyway, because some of you watch the Hope stream, don't you? So anyway, <clears throat> we're, on, we're in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 7. <coughs> the God of all comfort. Paul, at this point, has been suffering massively, and uh, simply because he spoke for Christ, and lived for Christ. And it got so bad at one point that him and his companions thought they were going to lose their lives for the Lord in verse 8 of our passage. Death seemed certain to them. So when they were delivered, 
It was almost for them like being raised from the dead. It was that bad. 2 Corinthians 1.9 In our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but God who raises the dead. So when Paul talks about the suffering for Christ and the comfort that Christ gives in suffering he knows exactly what he's talking about. So let me bring a few things to you from this passage. First is, our compassionate God is the source of all comfort. Uh, Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Why praise to the Father? Because he is compassion and he is all comfort. And true comfort in any of its form, ultimately originates from him. Jesus himself said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And God's comfort is very different from the comfort of this world, thank goodness. Jesus also goes on in that passage to say, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, God's comfort is available in any and every situation you find yourselves in. In verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles. Let me ask you this, when trials hit in your life, what's the first thing you do? Do you pick up the phone? Do you visit a friend? None of these things are bad, by the way. Do you search for something online? Do you get anxious? Do you panic? Are you filled with fear? Do you knee-jerk react? First thing we do is to look for God's comfort. He is compassionate. He cares. He's got something for you to hold on to in that difficulty. So don't, don't turn from, turn to. What are some of these comforts? Well, firstly, God's word. In the Psalms, which is a great place to go to when you're up against it, you see people who are angry, people who are sad, people who are confused, people who are numb, people who are worried, people who are depressed. Some just didn't have a clue what to do. But the first thing they did do was to come to God about it. You know, sometimes when things hit you, you end up on this roller coaster of emotions, don't you? And sometimes you feel nothing as well. And sometimes nothing makes sense. And lies are all around. And sometimes you get bad advice from well meaning folks. But no one seems to get it, no one seems to understand. You've only sometimes just got the bare word of God to hang on to, his promises and what he says. Sometimes we don't really think that's enough, but it is enough. And sometimes God strips everything else away so that you come back and take him at his word so that you do fully rely on him again. In verse 9, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. 
And some situations might look like the opposite of what God is, or who God is, or what he promises. But he always comes through. Joe was in this mess, wasn't he? And he says, though he slay me, though I haven't got a clue what God's doing, I don't understand, it, doesn't, it seems out of character to him as to what's happening to me, yet will I trust in him. When everything else goes pear-shaped, in your head, outside your head, one thing's for sure, God's truth remains true. And it is the only anchor in the storm and the only foothold on the slippery slope of what's happening to you and me. Paul, at one point, said, look, if all else fails, let God be true and everyone else a liar. Now, in society, that is definitely a way to go, isn't it? Because there's so much lies and rubbish going on at the moment. The only one you can trust is God. In a world of lies and a heart that deceives and a prince of darkness who appears as an angel of life, um, life, light, only God can be fully trusted. His word, what he says, is enough. Chew it over, listen to it, discuss it, whatever format you choose, go to God's word when trouble hits. Second, the comfort of his word and then the comfort of prayer. And the Psalms show this as well. Whatever state, whatever situation, call out to the Lord. That's what they do. They often come to the Lord distraught. But they leave in praise. Something changes. Something switches halfway through. You know, many of us, some of us, sometimes all of us, underestimate prayer. Since I've been at hope, that's all I've had to hang on to. And let me tell you, God hears. He answers and he comforts through prayer. In fact, he does a heck of a lot more in prayer than you may have given him credit for. In that intercessors group, I have never had times of prayer like that. And God just comes woof, straight down. And it's because every person there, not only is there because they should be there, although that's not what it's about, they're there because they want to break through with God, they want to be there, and they are prayers. And because they're prayers, not, yeah, pray, prayers, then God sees their heart and he comes right down to the middle. I'll tell you what, I've never been in a meeting like it. I can't wait every 10 days to get in there. Come on. Prayer is the business. And often when you come to the Lord and your only hope is a wing and a prayer, as they say, his peace enters your heart. Because you know that you've called God into the situation and you know that he is big enough and strong enough and loves you enough to take it on board and he will either sustain you in it or bring you out of it or both. But the peace comes when you actually leave it with him. When you actually believe that what you've asked him to do, he'll do. When you know he knows, and when you know he's on it, and it's n nothing in your life is a surprise to him, and you simply give it to him, 
and you rest in the knowledge that he will do the absolute best for you, in you, through you, however painful it may be at the time. Lord, help me to accept the things I can do nothing about. Because in acceptance lies peace. Philippians 4.6 Do not be anxious about anything, but, in order not to be anxious about anything, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the picture in the Greek there is a sentry on guard, guarding your head like that going round. You see, we lose that peace when we take back the burden. Leave it with him. Trust him enough. He's pulled you through before. He'll pull you through again. He'll pull you through now. The comfort of God's word, comfort of prayer, the comfort of praising in the fire. Um, David says, Psalm 22, but you, Lord, are holy. You inhabit the praises of Israel. And then he says again to himself, why are you sound so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my saviour and my God. Now David was a worshipper, David was a singer. He would be up here leading the worship in the 21st century and he'd be going for it. And yes, he'd be dancing, but we won't go there. <laughs> but when all around the storm is raging, he lifts his eyes, how? He sings praises, he speaks praises, he preaches to himself. And he does it anyway, regardless of how he felt. So often, when we focus on the Lord and we sing praises, our soul begins to be lifted. I've been in a foul mood sometimes. Um, sometimes when I used to come here. Um, not, not because I came here. I was just in a bad mood anyway. And you know what it's like. You've had a row with the wife, whatever. You come in. And uh, you're just in a bad mood. You're not up for it. So you make yourself blast the words out. And by the end of the first line, you're up there. Am I right? You're in the zone. Paul and Silas just been beaten up, arrested, in jail. Look what happened when they started praising Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains became loose. Sometimes, you know, the simple act of prayer breaks chains and pushes doors open that were shut. When you're going through stuff, get your praise on. In the car, at home, when you come here, rise above the feelings, the situations, and raise your gaze in praise. Because God lives in the praises of his people, and he draws near when you draw near. And often then the presence falls, 
when his people praise them with all their hearts. The Hebrews were also being persecuted. Many had turned back. Others were on the verge of turning back. And then 13.15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. You know, before I was a Christian, I worked in operating theatre. There was a woman there. She was a Christian. And she would sing praises to the Lord all the time at the top of her voice. And it really annoyed me. It annoyed the surgeons, the anaesthetists, everybody else. Why don't you just shut up? Not everything is wonderful. And anyway, who's God? When I became a Christian, I joined her. The sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget, it says, to do good and to share with others. For such sacrifices God is pleased. Which nicely flows into my next point. God's comfort is to be shared with others. Verse 3. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Why am I going through this is one of the first things we perhaps ask. So you can bring comfort to others by sharing with them how God comforted you. Let me ask you, if you remember when you were in a mess and everybody is at some point, how did God get you through? Did you feel at times like you were the only one? Suffering, you see, can be a lonely, lonely place. But it doesn't need to be. Especially if the body is functioning right. Elijah was alone. He was running scared. He seemed like he was the only one. He gets depressed. He stops eating. He falls under a broom tree whatever that is, and he asked God to end his life. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've asked God to end my life sometimes. Yeah, I have. It was very sad. But my experience is that anybody who wants to die and go and be with the Lord doesn't get to do it till much later. You know, you ask God to end your life, it's perfectly normal to do that if you're absolutely up against it. Of course, you depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. I don't know anybody that's asked that, that has had his life terminated. Quite the opposite, Elijah didn't. In fact, he never got to die. <laughs> and I've lasted a lot longer than I thought I'd last. That's not the way out, my friends. But, you see, Elijah's feeling very alone... And he's feeling like that. And he does the typical man thing and goes into his cave. 1 Kings 19, 13. Then God's, and then he was sulking in there. And he wasn't listening to God. And then we read, Then God said to him, What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, 
And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. You're not the only one. Others, though you may not know it, are going through exactly the same stuff as you. And you know, right after Elijah heard that, he left his cave, he anointed Elisha, and guess what? Elisha was one of the 7,000 who hadn't bowed down to Baal. And they drew close together. Have you ever thought you're alone? That your trial and your difficulty is unique to you? That no one else has ever been through this? That nobody understands? It's easy to think that when you're on your own. But it isn't true. It's very likely that there's someone else in this congregation who's been through what you're going through. And sometimes have you ever had someone visit you and at least you're thinking this but you're probably too polite to say it and you're thinking, you don't know how I feel. How would you know? What a comfort it is to sometimes hear, yes I do. And here's how God comforted me. And here's how he helped me to bear up under it and come out the other side. Because there is somebody else that has gone through things. That's the point of this passage. The greatest encouragement to a hopeless alcoholic is to talk to someone who was once in that place but thanks be to God isn't now. To someone who perhaps isn't just in recovery but they are in transformation by the Lord. Yet that person knows what it's like, remembers what it's like, and goes back to that alcoholic with empathy and compassion, and understands and seeks to minister the comfort that God once gave him, and perhaps still gives him. Have you ever been mentally ill? Are you mentally ill? Isn't it amazing when someone who's been there offers the comfort that God gave them and perhaps the help and suddenly in that mental state hope begins to rise because you're not alone. That's the key. Do you hold a grudge? Is there something that you just can't seem to forgive? Or is there a sin that you just can't get the better of? You try hard and it's not going very well. Or an attitude you can't throw off. Or you're still hanging on to past hurt perhaps. Or even ongoing hurt. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you're unable to conceive. Maybe you're feeling persecuted. Maybe it's a marriage breakup. Maybe your kids are breaking your heart. Maybe there's poverty in your life especially when the energy bills are just about to go up. Maybe you face homelessness. Maybe 
I know some people are in prostitution. Maybe you're suffering family splits or family problems. Maybe you're dealing with extreme anger and rage. Maybe you're reeling from pain, painful words that have been spoken. Or the devil's reminding you of guilt from your past. Let me tell you this, I bet you somebody here has been or is going through that same thing. And they can help. And God wants you to reach out to them for help. And if that's you and you've come through the other side, look out for people that you can help. Why? So that they can comfort you in all your troubles with the comfort God gave them. When trouble comes, don't withdraw. Draw near. And then once God's got you through it, look out for others. God allows trouble, but he brings comfort in your trouble so that you can comfort others in their trouble. And it gets to be contagious and you start looking out for other people and because it's a bit like when you've been saved because you've been saved you want to tell other people or you want to help other people to be saved well we're always being saved from something or other look out for others the body helps the body that's how it should function don't breathe a huge sigh of relief when somebody's in a huge sigh of despair when somebody comes to you with a problem comfort them or send them to somebody you can that's what the body is for. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. And then what happens is that through you, the spirit of comfort draws alongside. He's the comforter. That's BBC News update. He's the comforter. He's the counsellor. He is the paraclete. He draws closer and a brother alongside you. But sometimes through others that happens. In suffering, have an eye not only to what God is teaching you and doing in you, but an eye on how that will help others. You know why? Because God's purpose is to take your eyes off you in your suffering. Because there isn't there, some, there's nothing worse, is there, for you to withdraw and start thinking about you in your suffering. It makes it ten times worse, a hundred times worse. Fix your eyes on him and then others. Don't withdraw. Draw near. And then this, if you want to follow Christ, you will suffer like Christ. Verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. You know, Christ wasn't always rejected and despised. At first, many liked Christ. Christ was actually popular at first. We forget about that, don't we? You, you can have times where you can be popular, you know. But if you keep, keep sticking to Christ, it does turn pear-shaped. Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. So there, there you go. He was, but it didn't last. You know why? 
at the point where he began to say things people didn't want to hear. And he began to challenge them where they didn't want to be challenged. That's when the trouble started. Because from then on they sought to cancel him. Well, that's relevant, isn't it? And as his life went on, he was cast aside. He was treated like dirt. One thing led to another. He was insulted. He was abused verbally, emotionally and physically. And then he was killed. Because all this world wanted to do, as soon as he uh, brought the gospel to them, was to shut him up. And if you're serious about following him here today, you will get some of that too at some point. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, world, it would love you. As it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the world words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me... They will persecute you also. But what sustained Jesus and what drove Jesus on? Was it the desire to be popular? Not at all. He was a God pleaser, not a people pleaser. I don't know what, which one you are. I can be a people pleaser sometimes. And I can be a God pleaser other times. Sometimes we fluctuate, don't we? Jesus never did that. He was never a people pleaser. When his popularity went, he carried on pleasing God. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. When you're out there in the world, when you step outside tomorrow, maybe if, if you even go back to your home and there aren't Christians there, I don't know, what do you seek most? Popularity with God or people? And you know, the answer to that question will be exactly in the examination of how you talk and walk in your life. First of all, you'll probably say, oh no, I'm, I want to be popular with God. Well, how do you walk? How do you talk? That's the answer. And if the world never bats an eyelid at you, something's not right. The Spurge says this. I fear that some people would sooner be damned than be laughed at. If you follow Christ, you will suffer like Christ at times. Not always, but at times. But if you follow Christ, you'll also be comforted by Christ. Verse 5, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. You see, just as what Christ went through was for the apostles' benefit and their blessing and their comfort and their salvation, so what the apostles went through was for the benefit and the comfort and the blessing and the witness to the Corinthians. Uh, verse 6, if we are distressed, it's for your comfort, he says to the Corinthians, and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. 
So the idea here is this. When Corinthians see how Christ's comfort powers the apostles in their suffering, they take courage and are assured of the same comfort which gives them patient insurance. Endurance in the same suffering. See, it moves on, it moves on. I suffer to comfort you, then, I, then you suffer to comfort the next person. And it goes on and on and goes on. And as the apostles see Christ giving the Corinthians endurance, they're absolutely assured and their hope rises that they're the real thing and they'll stick it out. Verse 7, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. You see, Christ's comfort encourages you to keep going, to persevere. I wonder if you ever look back and you wonder, how on earth did I ever go get through that awful time? I thought it was the end. I thought it would never change. I thought my life would never be better. God's comfort brings endurance, power, resilience. Did you feel resilient? Did you feel powerful and patient and long-suffering, which is what it means? No, of course you didn't. Yet he got you through, so therefore you did have that. He gave you that. How? Because in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Have you been raised from your problems, from, from what seemed like death, which seemed like nothing would ever change? Well, you will be, if you haven't already. You see, suffering is all about God chiselling you, and chiselling is painful, let's face it, Suffering is all about God chiselling you into the likeness of Christ and you then, with his comfort, chiselling others into the likeness of Christ in their suffering. We're chiselers, brethren. We're sculptures with Christ's comfort and power. And lastly, let's make it all about Christ as we go out in a blaze of his glory learning from the master in Jesus he perfectly models how to suffer and he perfectly models how to suffer so that he can comfort others in their suffering but the big big difference is he does it while he himself is not comforted in his suffering He's staggering up the hill to be crucified, having Simon of Cyrene having to, had to take it off him. And remember, Isaiah tells us he doesn't even look human at that point. He has been so battered and bruised and, 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 and beaten into a, a vile pulp. It's amazing he even made it to the top. Is he thinking of himself? We read in Luke 23, 27, a large number of people followed him including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. How could he say that? He says, weep for yourselves and for your children. You see, 
in his own suffering, he's concerned primarily about the suffering that's going to come upon others. That's remarkable. I wonder if you ever met people like that. I have, they're rare, I must say. And they're in awful pain. Yet they're more interested in you and your life. They don't sometimes even want to talk about their own distress. That's Christ's comfort in them. And then there he is, shortly afterwards, nailed and hanging on the cross. And near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, John 19. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. He's hanging on the cross. He looks down, sees the discomfort and the suffering that his mum and John possibly are going to have afterwards. So he brings them together and he's more concerned about looking after his mum before he's gone. And he's just about to go. That is Jesus Christ. And perhaps even more so, he's been hanging now for three hours and the sin of humanity, darkness covers the earth and all that, the sin of humanity is about to be placed on him and he is about to suffer the wrath and then the abandonment of the Father and still he listens to the criminal next to him who was previously insulting him with the other criminal and he hears him say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And just before the room 101 of Jesus, which is the most terrific thing that tore his heart into, was to have sin on and be separated from, he knew it was coming within a split second of this. And he turns to him and he says, I tell you the truth, Today you will be with me in paradise. In the most excruciating suffering, he's always looking to comfort others in their suffering. That is our Jesus. There's no one like him. And all that's behind him now, has he forgotten about us? Has he forgotten to comfort us? No. He's now at the right hand of the Most High, pouring out his comfort in your suffering. Sometimes we don't want it. Um, sometimes we reject it. Sometimes we want more than what he gives. But he's there and he stands patiently waiting to pour out his comfort into your suffering. And you know what? He knows exactly what it's like and that's what makes him the comforter. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. But we have one who was tempted, tested in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And now he asks that, with that comfort that we receive, we comfort others. What an incredible God we have. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you are the God of all comfort. And we must confess there are times where we look elsewhere as a first port of call. 
And there are times too, Lord, as a body of people where we don't care much about what other people are going through. Or we may say we pray, care, and we may say we pray, but we need to get alongside one another. That's what you do with us. You want us to duplicate it and duplicate it and keep going around it to be a family, to look after each other. No matter what problems we have, help each other through it. And especially if some of us have been through that same stuff. That's our ministry then. That's what this, this passage is saying. It says, you've been through that stuff, now go and sort out others. Lord, help us to take our responsibilities clearly. Help us to draw alongside. Help us not just to be about me and mine. Help us to look further afield. Just like you who made a beeline for the suffering, help us to do that and to comfort with the comfort that you have given us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.